Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey everybody, Dr. Dad's coming at you again. This is Dr. David Wardy. I'm with my partner in crime, Dr. Nick Jensen. What's up, brother? Just happy, happy to be here with you guys. Uh, it's going to be an exciting, exciting topic today. So uh, I'm, I'm jazzed up. This is fun, man. We get to talk to a medical doctor that's uh, made his way into some natural solutions for people suffering with things like inflammatory bowel disease and IBS. And, you know, we kind of talk broadly about this topic quite a bit, right? But we haven't really gotten into like the nitty gritty and the guts of it. And I'm really excited to talk to this guy. So today's guest is Dr. Ken Brown. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a quick bio about him real quick and then we're going to get into it because we've got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about today. So Ken received his medical degree from uh, University of Nebraska Medical School and he completed his fellowship in gastroenterology in San Antonio, Texas. He's a board certified gastroenterologist and he's been in practice for over 18 years and he focuses on inflammatory bowel disease and IBS. He declared that his mission is to bridge this gap between medical and natural science. Uh, for over a decade, he's been doing clinical research for various pharmacological companies. Uh, he's recognized an unmet need for a natural solution to help his patients with IBS find relief. Uh, after developing the only all-natural and clinically proven answer for IBS and bloating for over six years, it's called a Trantil, launched in the summer of 2015. Uh, Dr. Brown developed a Trantil to help those suffering from the symptoms of IBS, which we know are caused by bacterial overgrowth, which is what we're going to get into today. He continues his research in finding natural solutions based in science with an emphasis in using cannabidiol in addition to a Trantil. You can also find Dr. Brown on his podcast called The Gut Check Project, where he talks to a lot of, I believe, other scientists and doctors and gets into the guys that are actually doing the research for all the wonderful things that he's doing. So Dr. Ken Brown, thank you for joining us, man. Man, I'm so excited to be here. I'm here with the superheroes of functional medicine, <laughs> the doctor dads. I love it. This is yeah. exciting. Um, great to see you guys. I met you both at Dr. Pompa's conference and uh, we talked a little bit afterwards. I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here. This is really cool. Yeah, for those of, for those of you that, that don't know, we had a little joke going because uh, this this gentleman, this this superhero doctor, actually looks a lot like an actor. And I was like, "Dude, is this is this Jason Siegel here, and or is this actually Ken Brown? Who who am I speaking to?" And uh, yeah, he's he looks like a movie star. He's got information that's this absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you literally blew us away when you when you got into the the nitty gritty of of gut physiology and what it means to to heal at that level. So. Uh, David, where do we start with this guy? I mean, he's got so much information. You know, Ken, the biggest thing is like, you've always stayed in my head. That talk that you gave, I think that was like four years ago. I was so blown away that there was this MD that was moving his way into natural solutions to help people with a serious problem that I think is very widespread now, which is IBS. I mean, it's kind of getting really common. I mean, a lot of the, the patients that I see roll into me, it's, it's a constant thing I'm seeing on the paperwork now. People are just struggling with inflammatory bowel disease. So why don't we get into how big of a problem this is and how you found that you needed to find these solutions, you know, because like you said, a lot of your colleagues weren't, weren't finding other ways to help people get, get them relief for these problems. So it, it's an honor to find my way into this functional medicine community because I'm a traditionally trained gastroenterologist. And when I started my practice, I got into uh, pharmaceutical research. And that's really where I started to develop the whole research aspect of everything. I was doing phase three studies. And, you know, in full disclosure, it was, we were, I was making a little bit of money doing it. And this is when I'm a drug that was being trying to be developed called Zyfaxin that we, a lot of people know about now. I was one of the, we were the leading rolling site for that particular one. And I'm talking with these scientists around the world and realizing that the scientists are really doing it for the why. And the why is how do we fix this problem? And the pharmaceutical companies are like, how do we monetize a problem? And as I'm talking to the scientists, I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Pimentel, and that's when he said, you know, unfortunately, this will help a small percentage 
of these people that we're calling IBS because all of my colleagues are calling IBS uh, and they're saying, if we do a work on you, if we do blood work and we do an EG and we do a colonoscopy and you're fine, you're normal, you get pat on the head and you say you have irritable bowel syndrome, it's probably all in your head. And that's what I heard all the time from these patients. Well, Dr. Pimentel had these animal models where he showed no. Many, many of these people, if not all of them, actually have a bacterial issue going on. And that's where it all started. And we're talking like 15 years ago or so. And so I did the original studies with Zyfaxin and when they were looking at that, but that was for irritable bowel syndrome with diarrhea. And Mark and I were sitting there talking and he's like, you know, unfortunately, we got to find something for the bloated, constipated person. And anything that's available now will not work because we now know, or he figured out in his lab, that the bloated, constipated person can have bacteria growing where it shouldn't be in the small bowel. And if some of that bacteria is from a kingdom called the Archaeobacter, they'll produce methane. And he explained to me that there is nothing, there's no modern day antibiotic that can help with that. And that's where I was like, huh, I'm from Nebraska originally. And I started thinking back and I was like, wait a minute, we were, I remember seeing some stuff about farmers being told to change the feed in cattle because the methane being produced by cows is affecting the ozone layer. So it came from an environmental place first. And then I went back and looked at all that data and I just went, oh my goodness, there's actually natural things that are much more effective to try and treat this archaea. Uh, this archaea species that is producing this methane. And so the next several years after that, me and my research manager, we were just looking at all this, this uh, animal data, deciding on, okay, what would be the best combination? And it was shocking to see that there was an institution that was like looking at adding this to cattle and they could decrease methane here. And there was another institution adding something else, but they weren't communicating. And I figured out that if we could take three natural polyphenols and polyphenols are the molecules that make vegetables colorful and colorful that we could effectively get rid of this bacteria and decrease the gas production. That's how it all started. And so it was kind of a, let's see what happens sort of thing. And we looked at the data, the safety was there. We realized we started getting into the chemistry of it and uh, working with scientists from all over, all over the country, actually all over the world, because we ended up having to speak with scientists in Argentina to try and actually realize that the best molecule would be a large, stable polyphenol combination. And we can get into that and what that means later. But essentially, we figured out that if you take this combination of Mother Nature's secret weapon, it exists in the natural form. We can calm the intestines down. We can soak up some of the gas that's being produced and get rid of the archaeobacter that's just producing the methane and shut down the enzyme. And so that was, that was how we started. And then I did two clinical trials on that. We did one um, randomized placebo-controlled trial, which showed this a really good p-value, meaning that we knew that the effects, although the study was small, the effects were great. And then I did another study that we published, we published both studies where we looked at people that had failed every pharmacologic agent, and we had close to an 80% success rate. Now, to put this in perspective, Zyfaxin had a 9% over placebo success rate, and they sold Can we say that again? Nine. Zyfaxin had a 9%... Over the placebo rate. Yeah. And, and I still use Ifaxin. I'm still a fan because I use it in certain regards. 9% over placebo rate, and they sold for $14 billion. Salix sold and got bought. And so it's that big of a market. So when you talk about the scope of the market, it's about, it's been estimated to be around 20% of the US population worldwide. It varies in different countries, but it's around anywhere between 10 to 20% of the world population. So it's a massive thing. The real question is, is that once I figured this out and then went in to develop a company and doing this and then stumbled into the functional medicine world, you guys have been talking about this way before it came in to Vogue for, and it's still not in Vogue with the traditional gastroenterologists. I still get so many people that say, I've gone to two other gastroenterologists, I have IBS, and I just asked one question. I'm just like, were you... When did this start? It started two years ago, 
and I almost feel bad because it's like you have the same conversation and it's like light bulbs go off in somebody else's head. And I'm just like, I feel bad that you had five years to hear this. That's what I feel bad about. And it's like, did you, were you normal? I was normal. I went to Mexico. I got sick. I came back. And ever since then, every time I eat, I bloat. And every time I eat carbohydrates specifically, I and I just listen to that and I go, okay, we're not, you've already been scoped. You've already been head blood work and everything. We're just going to treat this. And that's where the whole concept of bacterial health comes in. And you guys are very familiar with that, but that's kind of the history of this. It was an aha moment because I thought about a blood cow and went, we could fix people. And in the process of fixing people, you're fixing all these bloated cows as well, which is <laughs> incredible. You know what? This is nuts, but, um, I've been contacted by some cattle companies where they want to license my product. And I'm like, I took it from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so like what you're doing seems like it would make sense in cows. And I'm like, yeah, kind of does. Doesn't it? Yeah. It was kind of your idea. <laughs> it's almost like, what? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. What yeah, are, what is... a, they they want to make a feed to add. I'm like, well, you can. Sure. Okay. Pretty being done, but all right, we can do it. I love that story because it's, it's a power of observation, right? I mean, I feel like we get so narrow in our focus that we keep looking at pathology and histology and what's happening in that, in that cell. And then we step back and look at what's happening in nature and find these similar paradigms. And, and, and man, like that was, that was incredible. I hadn't heard that story of like, that's how it actually all started. That's actually how it all started. And it's, and there's, it's a, you, you know, the whole, how I built this kind of thing is really fun because it's, it's you, then you run into these little hurdles of how do I, uh, on a quick little side note, just to kind of explain it. I knew that this plant, I knew that this bark existed called Cabracho, Colorado. There's a cabra, there's a white Cabracho that people mistook. And, but this one is very different and it, it comes down to the chemistry. And so the, there's two companies that actually manufacture this and it's being used in wines. So it's the tannin in wine being used in the leather industry so it's used around and we it gets put in beer so i knew that it was safe for human consumption i knew that we had this animal data i just didn't know how to get it because you can't just call someplace because it's never been put into a supplement before <laughs> and it's in argentina and my mother happens to be argentinian and so i'm like do we have any cousins in argentina <laughs> and so she called a cousin who's a physician that drove to the facility and said that she needs some of this product. Next thing I know, I've got a five kilogram bag being shipped to my office. And I'm like, well, there it is. We got it. <laughs> I guess we're doing this. <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> but it was kind of a funny, it required the whole family who you know is more important kind of thing. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Wow. So yeah. conventional treatment for IBS you know, from the time of when you've kind of discovered this to where we are now, like what's, what's happening in that world? Is there any changes? I mean, you said Zyvaxin is still being utilized, but maybe if you could speak a little bit to like the antibiotic therapy and, and where those roadblocks are, and then take us into the world of polyphenols and, and all the things that you've discovered there. Absolutely. So in my world, the pharmaceutical industry has paid attention that this is a massive market. So every over the last 10 years, multiple drugs have come out, multiple drugs have come in and then got withdrawn by the FDA, like Zelnorm, which is one of them, uh, because of some side effects. The problem is, is that everything essentially treats the symptom. They're not trying to figure out the why. And if you can figure out why, in everything, in your life, if you figure out why you guys have this podcast that that brings the passion that keeps you going, the why you feel this way is because there's a reason that something's going on with your health. And unfortunately, functional medicine is way ahead of allopathic medicine in that regard, where you look for the why. So we get all these drug reps come into the office and they're it's multiple drugs now. So, and everything is trying to figure out the bloated, constipated person. And so there's, oosh, there's Amatiza, there's Linzest, there's Trulance, there's Motegrity, there's Zelnorm. They're all slightly better than placebo. And the problem is they also all cost a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. And they have some side effects and things like that. And they all work in a different way, at least in my world, where they will explain about how they improve the motility of the intestines or how they increase fluid in the intestines. 
But I still get these patients that come back and they're like, that's fine, but I'm still bloated. There's not a pharmacologic agent that helps with the bloating, which is the main symptom that many people feel um, feel needs to be treated. Just because I can make you poop, but you don't really feel empty and you don't feel any different, but yes, you pooped, then that becomes a statistical success, but the patient doesn't feel better. And then we start getting into the aspects of the brain gut connection, that when you have an inflamed gut, when you have an inflamed gut, then you're going to have an inflamed brain. Now we've got people that have these other issues that they didn't have before. So frequently I'll see somebody that um, will present and they'll say, you know, I've been bloated, blah, blah, blah. Um, I feel bad. I'm have constipation. And then I just ask, I'm like, do you ever feel like you're in a brain fog? And they'll just look at me and go, yeah. I'm like, do you ever feel like you're sluggish and fatigued? They're like, oh my gosh, yes. Why? Why are you asking this? And I'm like, because it makes sense now. You've got inflammation, which is affecting your brain, and this is where it's at. So that's the other side of the coin that all of my colleagues, most of my colleagues will usually do is they'll say, oh, we need to treat the brain. So we're going to put you on an SSRI. We're going to put you on an antidepressant. Maybe that's what you need because your symptoms seem to be in your head because everything looks normal on paper. So you must be, you know, having this situation that you're causing because you're stressed or you're depressed or you're whatever. And I, that's the worst thing in the whole world. Somebody threw a colonoscopy and they wake up and they get, you know, they go, Hey, good news. Everything's normal. You're fine. It must be in your head. And then they drive home and they're like, I feel horrible. How is this in my head? And so the, the movement of traditional medicine continues in that same path of there's a huge market, there's a huge profitability component, but we're not treating the underlying cause. And Zyfaxin still can't say what they do because they got FDA approval for IBS with diarrhea. Really, all Zyfaxin does, it's a non-absorbable antibiotic. So it's a poorly absorbed antibiotic that works in the intestinal lumen to get rid of the bacteria that's there. Presumably the bacteria that's producing hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide. So a limited spectrum, slightly better than placebo, but it's the only tool in that belt. And that's why it, you know, it still sells a lot. And I'm a big fan of it and I use it a lot, but that at least is hinting towards the underlying cause. And yet they can't talk about it. They can't say, SIBO, they can't do any of that because the FDA says you can only go for one indication and that's all you can say. So the current path is if any of your listeners are either a practitioner or um, somebody that's having these symptoms is that there are options and it doesn't necessarily have to be the traditional method of if you're normal, you're going to be labeled this. And then once you're labeled, you're going to be put on an SSRI. There are some other ways to get around that. And there's some, we can talk about the nuance of how I treat this and really difficult to treat cases. But what you have is this ability to look at this and say, no, there could be an underlying cause. If we don't treat the underlying cause, then I'll continue to suffer from this and then be essentially forced to take these medications for the rest of my life. Yeah. Go ahead, David. Well, you know, earlier, Ken, you were talking about a specific type of bacteria that causes some of these overgrowth issues. The thing that just keeps kind of coming up into my head as you're just mentioning SIBO and stuff like that is candida. So, you know, I'm curious because a number of people that I see struggle with candida issues, and this is a big contributor to the gas and the bloating and the inflammatory bowel issue. And like you said, even the gut brain connection. So how much of that stuff do you see corresponding to kind of what we're talking about a little bit? All right. So I put a lot of thought into this. And I know that the functional medicine world is really big into the candida thing. And I've really tried to figure this out. And I know that Satish Rao out of Atlanta even came up with a culture thing where he calls it CIFO, which is small intestinal fungal overgrowth. But looking at this, and I've talked to, um, I've talked to some mycologists and I've been trying to figure this part out because when I was training, we did not have treatment for AIDS and I would drop an or uh, I would drop an endoscope in somebody with um, uh, severe AIDS or if they had severe um, neutropenia meaning that they had no uh, no immune system to fight back we would find this candida in their esophagus 
in their stomach. And sometimes I'd find it lining the small bowel and it was thick. It was horrific. And they did not have bloating. They did not have diarrhea associated with that. They did not have constipation. And so I look back on that and I was like, how in the world am I looking at this intestine coated with that? And we're discussing this, but there has to be a correlation because I do, we do see people that when we treat them with antifungals, they get better. And then a mycologist explained it to me. He's like, wait a minute, you're trying to figure out if they get bloated. He's like, well, the candida will not make you bloated alone because they're a decomposition organism. So when they digest things, they release CO2, carbon dioxide. CO2 freely diffuses from the intestines and gets absorbed into the blood. So much so that we use carbon dioxide when we do our procedures so that people don't feel bloated after we get done. So looking at that, I started thinking, well, how, what is the correlation here? Why do some people get better? Because I just get refractory cases now. And so why can I take somebody and treat them without trontile, possibly another antibiotic, and then add an antifungal and they get better? This mycologist explained to me, he's like, wait a minute, you're trying to get rid of methane, right? And he goes, that's it. The archaea and the fungus, they're symbiotic. They're brothers in arms. The decomposition of the sugar into CO2, the archaea goes, oh, I would like that carbon to make methane. Thank you, sir. They work together. So that's why I've, I struggled a long time to figure out why in the world does the candida play a role, but it's not the only role. I think it is this dance between the archaea and the candida. They decompose this, and it's an opportunistic opportunity for both organisms to grow, which is why they kind of go. Now, from the functional aspect, a lot of the candida treatments in the natural world also have antimicrobial effects, which is why you'll see some benefit. So yeah. that's my long-winded answer of where does candida come in? Well, no, that was a great answer because some of the things I'm reading now that a lot of docs are coming forward with just from observations, they'll treat SIBO and they'll be successful and they'll see a patient go into good remission for a good while and the patient will feel much better, but then they'll have it come back with a vengeance. But when they go in and test the second round, it's a SIFO issue. So they went from having a bacterial overgrowth issue and then it pushes more into a fungal overgrowth. But that makes sense with what you're telling us because these guys are symbiotic in nature. So you disrupt one of them and it's going to throw the other one off. Absolutely. And, and we're still learning about that because we realize that probably viruses and some small parasites are probably all playing a role. This is the complexity of the microbiome, which isn't just the bacteria, is we have the ability to test. We don't really understand how to manipulate it yet. And the beauty is, I don't think the pharmaceutical industry will ever be able to figure it out because they have to go with a single molecular structure. Um, you, I listened to your podcast um, on that guy. Uh, I, I, oh my gosh, I forgot his name. But anyways, it was about um, CBD and the endocannabinoid system. And oh I really yeah, yeah. Enjoyed it. Dr. Stewart. Really, yeah, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Stewart. And he brought up Epidiolex that came out with the CBD isolate. If you look at the data on that, it's very similar where it's just not nearly as effective. And they sold for $7 billion. It just shows the money involved in a really niche little market. So I think the only way to really treat everyone going forward is to use this sort of holistic approach and using um, let mother nature do her things. So when you give one tiny little thing, if I eradicate, if I have this little tiny bomb that eradicates something, we always see the ripple effect and something bad happens. We give antibiotics, we see C. diff. We, um, people will take, I mean, that's what I get all the time. I'll have somebody that um, gets antibiotics because they went into the doctor and had a viral infection, probably should have never been given them. And then they're just, they're messed up, like really messed up. So the, you're exactly right. You can't, you can't just say that it's one thing. It's this dance with everything. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you talk about any change that happens in the body, it's always an adaptive change. It's always response to, in response to this, this medication, this drug, this lifestyle, this diet and everything. And, um, you know, I can't help but think like maybe this is a perfect time to sort of talk about this world that we're, we're in. We're in this world of attacking germs 
in this world that they're the bad things. We have to attack them. And it's, it's understandable, especially when people are, are really sick and, and that seems to be the most obvious thing. But I love how you're bringing this, this understanding of really looking at terrain-based paradigm or, or, or at least transforming the way that we're looking at the germ theory in how we apply medicine. So what does it mean to introduce these polyphenols? Because they're not all just destroying and dismantling all these microbes. They're actually creating an environment that allows for something to happen. So let's let's dive into that um, discussion a little bit. Yeah, this is, so this is, what, what I told you initially was the, be, was the beginning of me developing a product to solve a niche problem, which I thought was niche, and then it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And because of that, I've been exposed to a lot of different scientists around the world. And then I realized that these molecules that we're using, these large stable polyphenols, there's lots and lots and lots of really cool science going on. And as it turns out, we have evolved with these plants and these plants have evolved with us. And now looking at a lot of the data, and I do want to say this one thing about data because uh, with the Dr. Stewart that you had on, I was kind of thinking about this. One of the problems I run into with my colleagues is, is that people say, well, there's, uh, there's no science to back that up. And that is anything I say, I can back up with about, and we can talk, we can talk fasting, we can talk stem cells, autophagy, and I've got science, science, science. And when you go to your doctor, your traditional doctor, and I think that, you know, I, I think Nick, you probably deal with this more in El Paso. I do believe that I've met a lot of Canadians that are seem to be much more open to the holistic approach, but I imagine in El Paso, it's a, maybe a little more education. Yeah. I'm yeah. I've been, on the head, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so that's what I'm dealing with in Dallas. Yeah. And so, you know, I require, it requires a lot of, a little bit of education. And when people say that there's no science behind this, it is ridiculous. Um, how much science there really is. So the polyphenols by definition are these macromolecules that give plants and vegetables their color. The plants produce them as a protective mechanism so that they can um, prevent herbivores from things from just disseminating them. Like it's, it's their symbiotic relationship with the world. We consume them and then they are poorly absorbed. And that's the key to this. So the reason why I put Cabracho in Atrantil is because it was the largest stable polyphenol that can survive the acidic environment and the basic environment, including pancreatic enzymes, make it to the colon. Once it gets to the colon, if you have a good microbiome, meaning a diverse microbiome, then your microbiome uses those prebiotics, and I say that because anything that makes it there is a prebiotic, uses those prebiotics. And the new science that's going on with most of these PhDs I'm working with is how your microbiome breaks down these beneficial products. And now we see how the Mediterranean diet is an anti-aging, anti-inflammatory diet it, with science. You can look and go, oh, you mean that if I, I can produce... Uh, so I had on my podcast, Sylvia Molino, um, it was really, it was super fun because she's now I'm working with, with her. We're working in conjunction because she's lives in Spain. She's Argentinian. Um, and she speaks very little English, but I had her on the podcast and it was awesome because her paper was groundbreaking. She took a model of taking these polyphenols and putting them through a digestive process. And then she did a gas chromatograph of what happens when she fermented them. So she showed that really they don't break down very well, but once she fermented them, then she took Cabracho and she took chestnut, which are the two large polyphenols that she got her PhD in. And she showed, and this is stuff that people never talk about. She showed that when you take Cabracho and chestnut and you ferment them, those large building block polyphenols that go through the intestine. So it's job. The reason why I wanted them is that they stay intraluminal, meaning they stay where the bacteria are. Stating that if you take an antibiotic to get rid of SIBO, you absorb the antibiotic. It becomes systemic. The bacteria in the lumen are still just hanging out partying. 
So that was kind of the, that's the concept that the pharmaceutical industry is missing, except for Zyfaxin. They knew that it doesn't get absorbed. So then she showed that once she fermented them and she did a gas chromatograph to see what actually got produced so she could show the molecules. It incredible. Blew my mind. Quercetin is kicked off. ECGC, which is green tea extract, is kicked off. Urolithin A, urolithin B is kicked off. Like all these things that other people are taking smaller phenolic compounds and making supplements, wow. they don't get absorbed very well either. Curcumin, turmeric, doesn't get absorbed. We've got articles to show that it goes to the colon where then it gets broken down and then it's absorbed into beneficial things. The short chain fatty acids, butyrate and so on. So the science of this is really, really cool. We had um, Charlene Van Buten who did her thesis on how the cabrachotannin uh, binds to gliadin when people eat hmm. gluten. And that's how these polyphenols prevent um, gluten sensitivity in certain people because it forms this matrix around it. Weird. Like it was mind blowing. Like how does that, how does nature know to do that? It was wild. So uh, there's this whole site. You're going to see a lot more coming out about the, the role of these polyphenols and how they do this. My only, my only concern is that you still have to have a properly functioning microbiome. You have to have a diverse bacterial load. So however, we still have to do that, which means we still have to avoid the, I mean, whatever, the processed foods, we still have to have proper sleep cycles. We still have to do the things that you guys talk about all the time. Um, make sure that you have proper cell turnover so that, you know, the chronic inflammation needs to decrease. Otherwise it's an uphill battle on for everything. If you're treating one thing, but you're not sleeping, then, Oh, one other thing really quick, David, we were, uh, we were, I'm sorry, Nick, I think Nick, you talked about this. Um, we were talking about the whole SIBO and it recurring it's a motility thing. So if it's, um, if, 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 if you are having chronic stress, the sympathetic tone, if you're not sleeping and you have motility changes in your intestine, which happens all the time, then you have the propensity to regrow. So that comes back to that thing. I can treat you, you can get better, but you still got to fix your life. Yeah. Wow. So just, just to get, get that really clear on the polyphenols, and I think that's fascinating just regarding the motility issue. And, and I mean, I mean, we talk about this in, in, from a yoga point of view or lymphatic point of view, if things aren't moving, obviously there's going to be problems. There's going to be inflammation. Things aren't stagnation in Chinese medicine is all about propagating illness. So these polyphenols are, they're too large to be absorbed. And so they, they have this, in some cases, this magnetic or maybe not magnetic, but this way to, to bioaccumulate some of these pathogenic microbes or at least change the distribution of them within the gut. And then what happens in this chronic, you know, leaky gut, gut permeability issue as a result of this chronic, chronic inflammation? Is there issues with these larger polyphenols in some people that have serious permeability issues or is they, are they still too large to have any sort of penetration? Well, they're way too large to have any penetration, and they've done multiple studies where they everything to de determine the amount of leaky gut that you have or intestinal permeability is a lot of studies are done using the, we can radio label lipopolysaccharides, which is the, the outside of the bacteria, and then you can follow where it goes. What we do know is that if you have, let's start with the SIBO concept. If you have bacteria growing where it shouldn't be, which is the small bowel, and your body, a dendritic cell reaches up and says, what is this? And hands it to another immune cell. And the immune cell goes, we got to get rid of that. Now that's great if it's E. coli, but that's bad if it's just sitting there all the time. Then what it does is it turns on this cascade of inflammation and the cascade of inflammation goes around and that actually opens up the cells so that you actually have more sampling, handing it off more. And then the more this happens, the more you have this intestinal permeability, leaky gut. We now know that that is probably the start of autoimmune disease. So when I see people and they have celiac disease and they have 
hypothyroidism and then they show up with psoriasis, it's this cascading event. Now, the size of or the amount of intestinal permeability really doesn't come uh, even close to these macromolecules that can come through at all. So what it's doing is it's actually has, so then this is the other aspect of polyphenols. Um, I'm reading right now a 50 page pre-proof and the title of it, um, nauseating, but we, we discuss a lot of the stuff, bioactivity, bioavailability, and gut microbiota transformations of dietary phenolic compounds, polyphenols, implications for COVID-19. So oh, it's a pre-proof. Wow. And what these guys are talking about is exactly what I'm saying. They talk about how these polyphenols work as um, anti-inflammatories blocking reactive oxygen species. They work to decrease NF-kappa-beta, which is the first domino in the inflammatory cascade. And they work to increase NRF2, which is the first domino in the anti-inflammatory cascade. So uh, I was fascinated that somebody sent this to me and they're like, you're going to like this. This is pre-proof. I think you're going to want to contact these people. And this is in regards to COVID-19, but basically it's in regards to inflammation. They're not really describing it with that. It all comes down to, so once we, once you get rid of the bacteria, that's the underlying cause. Then you mitigate the immune system by saying, we're going to put you back in balance. So we're going to not have the IL-6 floating around. We're not going to have TNF-alpha floating around. We're going to stop this NF-kappa-beta thing. And those are all just inflammatory cytokines. It just means inflammation. So when you stop that, then it allows your body to heal. Then in theory, or in more than in theory, then it goes to the colon where then your colonic bacteria can actually increase their diversity and then they produce these postbiotics, which they're now being called, which are the absorbable, smaller molecules. So I've, I'm trying to think of it. Maybe you guys can help me with an analogy. And I don't know. I feel so nerdy when I say something like this, but I've <laughs> described it to patients like, and I don't know why this came into my head, but it's like a large Lego Millennium Falcon. Yes. That then when it gets to the colon, it gets broken off into smaller pieces and smaller ships. And, and I don't know where that came up with where the, but I, for some reason it, I viewed a, a large Lego piece. So I tell my patients that I'm like, it's like a large millennium Falcon. Now, if you take a smaller piece of it, that's great. That can do something. It'll, it'll still get there. But what you really want is you want to feed your body what it, what it really needs, which is why eating a whole food diet is so important and allow your body to figure out how it wants to use that. Well, I can't wait for my kids to listen to this podcast because now it's going to make sense. <laughs> oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta digress super quick, and my, I hope my wife is in this podcast. So my wife and son are um, in Mexico to tennis tournament, and um, so I've, I have a fourteen-year-old daughter and a sixteen-year-old son, and. Um, my daughter had two friends over yesterday and I was, I'm working and I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, do everything and a couple companies. And, and so she caught me at a weak moment. And she's like, I got so-and-so and so-and-so over. And I was like, okay. She's like, we want to bake. And I was like, all right. And the rule is if, if, if you're going to eat something like that, we got to make it at home period. I mean, if you want it, if you want to have brownies, you got to make them. And so she knows that. So she's like, so they're sitting at, at, at home and she's, I go to Walmart, um, cause it's right by my office. And I'm like, okay, I just got to do this really quick. I'm like, okay, here's, here's the ingredients. And I was like, ask your friends what they want. And it was Tic Tacs and Sour Patches. And I was like going, like kind of vomiting in my mouth as I was like paying for them. <laughs> First time ever, like that, that stuff was brought into my house. I was like, I'm just doing this so that I can just get on with my work day. And I, I feel horrible. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, it's a science I, experiment, right? <laughs> I know. But I had to laugh. I'm sitting here. It's like if one of my patients saw me buying all this stuff. <laughs> You have to wear a disguise next time you go to Walmart. Exactly. Oh man. Exactly. Well, well t tell me something because so many people that we do, we do a lot of gut zoomer tests, a stool test. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular test or not, but yeah. Almost, from vibrant wellness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Almost every patient that we see comes back and they're enzyme deficient. Like they're not breaking down their fatty acids. Well, their short chain fatty acids are always minuscule. Calprotectin's up. Um, you know, sometimes onulins there. I mean, there's all these inflammatory markers. They're not breaking the food down properly and, and they, they are, they're missing the bifido and, and some of those short chain fatty acid molecules that serve the, the bacteria. Like, is that like, what's, what's happening there? Why is that so 
ubiquitous in everybody? That's a great question. Um, I love that company. Had a long, mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out how to collaborate with them to answer some of these questions, oh, to be amazing. honest. Um, if you, my, my knee jerk reaction is we know that high fructose corn syrup, um, there's a lot of political reasons what happened with the Nixon era and everything where suddenly corn is overproduced. We figured out high fructose corn syrup. It has a long shelf life because it is, um, it, it's a food stabilizer, whatever. We know that that has to be processed to the liver, which causes some inflammation and has to be converted to glucose and all this stuff. So there's high fructose corn syrup everywhere. So that's not a viable, it's a, it's a poor sugar. And then we know that there's a lot of uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids being put in these processed foods. So the PUFAs. So you have your soybean oil, your canola oils, which create inflammation. There's going to be a common theme here. So it's inflammation, inflammation. And then you have your emulsifiers, like the soy lecithin. So it, it, a lot of things people don't realize, which it's a whole separate topic would be the food science industry i have patients which are just wicked smart phds because we have pepsico and frito-lay as home base here so i'll scope people and they'll work for these companies and they're just so smart and i'm like what's your what do you do there they're like well we're uh, my organization is trying to figure out how to coat a frito so it goes down easier it's like it's not as easy as you think i'm like well clearly you're a phd and i saw your thesis it's brilliant i mean but there's you know, these are the people doing that. So then you have these emulsifiers. So soy lecithin, we, in the gastrointestinal tract, the communication between the vagus nerve and the brain happens almost immediately. So it doesn't have to be this absorption. You have nerve endings on the mucosal surface of the intestines that when you reward these nerve endings with, let's say, sugar, then the vagus nerve sends a signal immediately and branches of it. So we always refer to the vagus nerve in a lot of different ways, you know, if you're doing meditation or relaxation, but really it's, it's this massive brain, it's the brain gut connection. And these nerves say, okay, we've, I want more sugar because that's the reward, or we've had enough amino acids and we had enough good fats that they send the signal to say, okay, release uh, leptin. And so leptin says, you're full. We've had a satiating meal. So these emulsifiers damage the surface of the mucosa so that those nerves are no longer able to sample what's going on. So you then increase ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, and you crave more of these things. So the short of it is, you, if you're eating a typical American diet, your gut zoomer is going to be jacked up based on the inflammation, but the inflammation drives you to eat more of it. And the food industry knows this. And wow. there's, some, there's some high science with it. I admire it from that level of some dude that figured that out and said, let's add more of this. It'll make people hungrier. But so regarding that, my only issue with the gut zoomer and other, other products like that, we have the ability to test the ability to manipulate the microbiome is the hard part. And that's why, so I had a Zoom call with the CEO and he said that anecdotally, he's being told that when people do a course of atrantil and um, their diversity increases, and I am not trying, to, not trying to take ownership of that. I, I'm saying that when you decrease the inflammation, so whether it's, whether it's atrantil or another way to get rid of the inflammation, I think your, your microbial diversity will increase regardless, but it could be that the polyphenols are also being used as fuel to increase that. Yeah, that, that's, that's what would be my first thought too. I mean, we know that from yeah, a tool like diet variation or eating seasonally, you know, constantly mm. presenting new material to your gut, you're going to increase diversity, especially when there's these, these, these amazing polyphenols that have a, an incredible way of balancing the system. So yeah, it's, I mean, and, and just a quick little note, I mean, the patients that, that do well in a Trantil, they never want to stop. It's kind of like they will use it, you know, indefinitely. It, it makes such a profound difference. We definitely have some that, that definitely are more challenged. And I think there's maybe more toxicity. There's other things that maybe haven't quite been addressed. 
but it it works, man. Like it, it and it works really well for the, for the clients that we use it on. Yeah, and I'm I'm thr- I'm thrilled to hear that. But I'm also the the person that basically treats anybody who's failed it. So like every day I go to work and I'm like I've developed a horrible product and then you know we get in our board <laughs> meetings i'm like oh we're making sales because everybody that shows up to my office has failed it and then we have to start really looking at that yeah. and then i realized that that's where that's where i'm really evolving into a functional doctor much more so where it's i'm like okay well let's let's look at this we can improve that but if you're not sleeping yeah. or if you've got these other inflammatory aspects going on and um um fasting you know i mean you guys are big big into fasting and oh i got a um a quick side note on that one i ended up hurting my neck real bad um while i was uh, traveling and like real bad like tricep went you know no tricep function pec function and everything and came back here in traditional medicine you know it's esis and everything nothing's working and it's like you have to go get surgery and i'm like man that is just not what i'm gonna do and it's the first time i've really been kind of knocked down like this so, it's uh, too many of the brownies right you had the tic-tac brownies oh and they just gosh. they threw you off it's <laughs> just and that's and that's when i decided to quit smoking no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um but it was really uh i ended up having on on our podcast i had a stem cell expert on um that was actually running the reared and clinic in panama and he happens to be in the dfw area and so i set up to get myself some like legit stem cells you know an iv and everything but um i did a full water fast five days before because i thought if i'm going to get the stem cells then i'm going to refeed the day i get them and we're going to kick up all my stem cells and so i'm feeling pretty good it was about uh six weeks ago so I'm that's amazing. Better than that. you did it right yeah. that sounds amazing um i i do want to talk a little bit about sort of the current phenomenon that we we find ourselves in there's a huge amount of people that are suffering you know with you know infections virus scare um these these people are chronically inflamed individuals you know they're people that have gut dysfunction maybe they're aware of it or not but you know the paper highlighted some interesting stuff what did you gather or what do you gather maybe from the current crisis that we're the wonder the 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 chronic gut issues that we're facing, maybe some new stuff that you found in that research paper that, that you just shared. I'd love to hear some of what you see going on here. So uh, we're going to end up with another pandemic after this one finally settles down a little bit. And it's going to be the post-infectious pandemic where people are having, uh, people call them long haulers, but you know, we see this, this is the post-infectious gut issues. Um, I've, I'm noticing we did a whole three-part series on how very young, healthy men post-COVID are having erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that they, the endothelium is still has inflammatory processes going on, which results in this cascade of events. So first, the stress. The stress of this whole situation, wherever you are on the spectrum, if you are trying to keep your restaurant open, that, those kind of things, if you're you know, just not seeing loved ones, everything. I, my, unfortunately, most gastroenterologists have been just flooded with patients because we're getting all these people that are having horrible IBS symptoms. And I think the first step is just the stress. If you haven't even had an infection, it's just the stress of everything. The fight or flight, process is going on and that results in the dysmotility which then results in the perfect environment to grow the stuff and then the people that actually do get infected can end up with sort of a chronic low level inflammatory process i think that we're going to see a little bit of um i don't really want to compare it to lyme but you know how lyme can evade the immune system and continue to create low level inflammation i think we're going to see a little bit of that And ultimately, we know that the ACE2 receptors are heavily concentrated in the intestine. So the liver and the intestines take a big beating during the infection, which does create this damage. And then this damage, if it's there, goes into a perpetual cycle because you never give your gut a break. I mean, I like to tell my patients that, you know, if you sprained your ankle, I put you on crutches, you avoid getting on it, it'll heal. Your gut is its own thing. It's gonna. It's got its own mind. It has its own clock. It has its own immune system. Has its own nervous system. So when it's out of whack, it's going to. You know, the 
the gut is the root cause of so many things. And I think we're going to see a lot in the current environment of doctors having another pandemic of all these other things that are going to, and it all comes down to one key word I keep saying over and over, inflammation. That's the thing. Chronic inflammation, bad. Acute inflammation, great. You got to be able to control that. Uh, one other thing that I did want to say really quick, I mentioned fasting for a reason. Um, um, the polyphenols, there's lots of data to show that it's a, it's a um, fasting mimetic molecule. So Jason Fung, the big fasting guy, he has shown that these uh, polyphenols, he actually recommends taking polyphenols while you're fasting because it augments it. And so it's a, it, it, and, the, and the polyphenols, I just keep saying that because that's, it's a natural mother nature's product. So it isn't unique to one thing, it's, but it's, it's that powerful. Amazing. David, go ahead, buddy. So Ken, I'm, I'm very interested. You're, you're kind of moving into the endocannabinoid system. You're using cannabinoids to complement the atrantil with some of your methods. Can we get a little bit into that and speak a little bit about how you've made your way into that, that realm? Yeah. So I, well, the actual story of that, which is kind of funny, was it, have you guys ever been to Paleo FX? No, but I've always wanted it. to go. Yeah. We talked about going a couple years ago. We were, um, well, I was checking it out and I'm walking by a booth and the, the person who's now um, a really good friend, you guys should have her on your podcast. Her name is Christine Thiel. She just grabs me and goes, and this is years ago. And so this is Texas. It's going to be a little late to the game on, I mean, I mean, Nick, you could probably appreciate that. I think they were arresting people in Tarrant County for CBD. And that was just like a year ago. You know, they didn't, it was just all drugs to, wow. you know, here. So um, I get grabbed and she starts telling me about the benefits of CBD and I'm just like, whatever, but she was super charming and nice and fun. And I was like, fine, just send me a case to my office. And I gave a case away to patients, not telling them anything. And then like of the 12 people, the nine of them came back and wanted more. And I was like, huh? And I gave it away and they're so I'm willing to buy it. And I was like, okay, well, there's something to this. So then it started talking to some scientists and Getting into the endocannabinoid system, Dr. Stewart did a great job of talking about that. And it started to make sense to me that this is part of that dance of how the endocannabinoid system is sits on the postsynaptic site or basically our own endocannabinoids. And they're kind of work like a traffic cop, you know, to say we're too much, we need a little more. Here it is. And it started to make sense. And then I went all in when I got contacted by a PhD and the research they were doing was they were looking at how one of the ways that they wanted to see if um, our particular polyphenol blend could help in their research, which is they were looking at how to um, protect FAAH, which is the enzyme that breaks down anandamide. And so FAAH breaks that down. FAAH goes up in times of stress. Mm -hmm. So the more stressed you are, the more you'll break down your own endocannabinoids. So the more inflammation you have. And then the, what they showed is that you can actually decrease the amount of that enzyme by an appropriate amount of inflammatory molecules, which are byproducts of the polyphenols. And that's when I was like, what? This is crazy. So started wow. looking into the science and that's how I really got into it. And then I realized that when I combine the two, I get a better benefit. And so uh, that's how I got into the whole CBD thing and then ended up working with them. And I have my, you know, it's a, uh, I'm super excited because the ultimate goal of this, of getting into the CBD was to find the niche of help certain people with certain diseases. I really feel like inflammatory bowel disease, which is different than IBS. This is where your own body attacks your colon or your intestines. I'm going to publish a trial here soon um, of just a case series of a CBD plus a um, terpene combination in conjunction with the polyphenols, I show endoscopic and pathologic complete remission, meaning I can look in there and I can biopsy and show that it's gone. Wow. And it's so necessary because it's the same thing that we were talking about earlier where a lot of these medications, my patients can't afford because the insurance companies no longer pay for them or they're owned by a niche company. So they, 
they go up in price. And here you have a situation where once again, your gut does not, when it's misbehaving, it will misbehave whether you want it to or not. And if you're somebody that has inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, and you're bleeding and having 20 bowel movements a day, there's, that is, and the fact that some of these drugs cost a thousand dollars a month, I mean, it's, it's criminal. I mean, this isn't, this isn't cosmetic stuff here. This isn't Botox for a frown. This is debilitating issues. So that's kind of my why right now. We're going to figure out how to help those people. It's amazing. Well, that's I mean, huge. can't wait to keep following up with you on that particular area of research. I mean, this is huge. You know, when people, when then people really, I guess, appreciate just the extent of dysfunction that's happening in the GI tract. And if they could start to realize that that same phenomenon, that same perpetuity of that realization in the gut is continuing on and creating that communication in the brain. I mean, that neuroinflammation that I truly feel like this connection and understanding and appreciating this connection is so vitally important because I think it's affecting our decision-making in this world. It's affecting how we are having troubles connecting with other, with other people. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with our energy, our psychology. I mean, this is pivotal information. I love that how you started a lot of this conversation was like, do you, do you experience brain fog? I mean, that's a, that's a, a fundamental aspect of, to being humans, to be able to use the faculty of our brain, which then communicates all those hormones and neuropeptides to every single tissue of the body. And I love that you're bringing so much attention in, into this area of the body that's so needed because we are dealing with a, a, a pandemic, not only of gut issues and fear and everything else, but we're dealing with people with chronic brain inflammation that are making really difficult decisions and are having to make difficult decisions and having a really difficult time with it. Both you guys probably see this also, but when you take the onus off the, off the patient and say, this isn't your fault. Yeah. Your, your, uh, there was a study um, that I came across looking at specifically high fructose corn syrup, and this is, really, this is really cool. They showed that it was the first one where they could actually look at the brain inflammatory markers. And what they showed is, is that people that have a high uh, diet of high fructose corn syrup had higher incidence of autism, ADHD, um, anxiety specifically. They were looking at those three things, the hyperactivity in the brain. And what they're able to show is that by eating high fructose corn syrup, it has to be converted in the liver. Um, but once it gets absorbed, the brain can't use the straight fructose. So it goes into what they called a foraging aspect, meaning it's the hunter gatherer in us that says I'm starving. So it gets anxious and says, we got to do something. We got to do something. And it, it just, it's, that's where the anxiety and, and it exacerbates. So, that's why I'm really big about discussing, you know, that none of this really matters unless you change your diet. You can't take a supplement and not do this, but it is completely related. And then once your brain is revved up, then that counter loop goes to the gut and then changes the motility. And now you're suspect to other things. Yeah. So it's that, it's that cycle. And when I can tell a patient, when I say, do you have brain fog? And they go, yes. How do you know? I'm like, because your gut is doing this. And then your brain is doing this and you're not in control of either. It relieves them a little bit. And they're like, oh, because I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. Because two yeah. other doctors said I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I th I, I'm glad you said that too. And that you kind of finalized the point I was trying to make. And that was that, you know, with the, the amount of mental health issues that, that, that are going on in the world and, and you know you know you talked about how you take this drug for your gut and now take the ssri you know if people can really appreciate what you're sharing they can start to see that yeah i'm not i'm not broken i need some work obviously but this isn't all happening in my mind it's it's happening as a result of this physiology in the world that the, the chaos the toxicity the, the crappy food the chronic stress all of those things are contributors and and here you're, you're sharing a solution that, that could be a part of someone's healing plan. And it's so 
absolutely important. I uh, also want to say, I know we gotta, we're going to close here in a bit, but I'm just pumped that you listened to one of our podcasts, man. That, that's amazing. You just made my day. <laughs> you did. Yeah. It was good. You guys yeah. are good. I love it. Thank you, man. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to more. That's, the, um, that's kind of the fun thing is that uh, yeah. when you guys, and you've done a great job of organizing the podcast and you can search it. And so like I can go on Spotify and search and then I found you guys. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> David, go ahead. I know you might have some closing uh Oh man, this information has been great. And just like to talk to like what Nick was saying, I love it how you brought a very comprehensive idea to people to understanding that number one, there are solutions and there is hope for some of the things that they're struggling with, but making and helping them understand that it, it's it's a full picture thing. You got to eat right. You know, you, you, gotta, you can't be eating crap and then just take a pill to try to find the shortcut because there really aren't any. And you're really speaking to like, look, there's no shortcuts. It's It's the whole thing. You got to shift everything. You got to get upstream. And then these things are going to assist you in that healing journey. So, man, much appreciated. Your wealth of knowledge, man. I love talking to you even better than last time. Uh, and we got to have you on, man, because I just feel like there's a whole lot more things that we could talk to with you about. Uh, and we could dive into a little bit more with some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I'm learning all the time also. And so a few months from now, we may have a completely different discussion, um, expanding on some of these little, these little aspects. So it's, uh, it's, it's super fun. And we're trying, I'm trying to get more, find a little more time to, pu to do some publishing and you know, some stuff like that. So it's need to write a book, man. Yeah. Oh, that book. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> Uh, I look at the way I write and I'm just thinking I like, I like, like when I read, I'm just like, wow, this person's so good at that. How in the world? And, uh, <laughs> uh, you got it in you, man. If you, you speak it with such truth and such passion and, and it's, you know, it's, it's really I, inspiring. I just got done reading um, Cynic's book on start mm. with why. Yeah. And I was like, it reinvigorated me to, take a step back because sometimes you just get sucked in i mean you know how it is you get sucked into the problems of the business or whatever i mean i'm in, essentially and i'm i'm an entrepreneur and you can get into the weeds and i'm like wait a minute i gotta be why i gotta be why because why is the fun part why is the waking up every day and trying to teach my kids let's find you got to find your why and everything and so i just it just kind of resonated with me at this stage of my life so and that, that's beautiful and that's the message for people when they're not feeling well is to find that why you know like what's the reason to get healthy again you know some yeah. people are so complacent with their health that they don't choose that for themselves so again you're, you're dropping messages all over the place uh dr ken no we always encourage uh, uh our guests to please leave like what's a what's a good home play assignment for people to maybe take some of this action steps that you just shared with us into their life like maybe what are some what are a couple things that people can do for themselves to, to get started well, I think the most underrated thing that just does not get discussed enough is please make sure that you develop a sleep hygiene regimen before you go out and buy a supplement, before you decide to join a gym, look at your sleep hygiene and dedicate some very specific methods to make sure that you sleep. Because I think that that is probably the most under discussed thing. And when I talk to my patients and I ask them like, what is your regimen? And they're on their phone as they're going to sleep, checking Facebook. No, 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 none of that. Um, so that is the most important thing. And then the, the other thing is, is realizing that if you do have autoimmune disease, more than likely you have some sort of inflammation going on and we need to protect your gut any way you can. And by all health begins and ends in the gut, in my opinion, um, if you don't do that, meaning if you continue to feed your most important organ um, foods that do the things that we talked about, like the um, damaging of the intestinal lining, like give, feeding it um, calories and carbo carbohydrates that are undigestible or hard to digest and these different things. So sleep and just try to change at least one meal a day where you make it at home. Take it to work. Don't get in line at a at a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Really if nice. gonna, and if you're gonna make brownies, make them at home. I feel so horrible, but they were so good also. <laughs> so good. Oh, that's amazing. Dr. Ken, lastly, uh, the gut check 
project is your podcast everybody who's tuning into this you gotta i mean if you want to dive deeper with these amazing scientists that dr ken's talking about check out the podcast Atrantil is the name of the product. Um, both Dr. David and I both carry that at our, our clinics, and we're going to make sure that you've got a, a code where you can access it as well after ch- checking out the podcast. Any other places that people can get your information and follow you and learn more about you? Um, they can go to KBMD Health, like Ken Brown MD Health, kbmdhealth.com. Um, that's where we have the, uh, the CBD and uh, I another fan of something else you guys need to have um david roberts on your podcast cool. he, he he developed uh brock elite hmm. which is the world's only stable sulforaphane product which is a whole separate topic him and his phd john gilday um they're 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 awesome so i'll i'll put you guys in touch with them because this oh, thank is you. this is very similar to the stuff that they talk about and then if you want to just look at the um from the doctor standpoint i have kenneth brown md dot com and then i guess trying to do some social media at kbmdhealth.com on instagram i don't do a whole lot awesome i'm not, I'm not a big social media fan because i try not to look at my phone oh, I know. like i you know yeah. <laughs> no time yeah. well it's also it's part of my sleep regimen that's right yeah, phone, <laughs> you know? oh it's amazing thank you so much for sharing your day with us ken yeah, I well, appreciate thank you, you guys. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And yes, I love your podcast. You yeah. Thank you, Amazing. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.